is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation. Tonight is the third in a series on transgender issues. We're going to be talking about uh, transgender youth, and in particular, a camp for transgender youth. My guest tonight is Nick Teich. Nick is a social worker and also a PhD student in social policy at Brandeis University. He's the founder and president of Camp Aeronutic, which, as far as we know, is the first summer camp for trans youth in the world. Nick is also writing a book on transgenderism. Welcome to Safe Space, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Nick, I'd like to start by asking you to tell me the story. It's rare to have someone who's done the, so you know, the first something ever in the world. So, I'd like to ask you how did, how was the idea for the camp conceived? Tell me, I'd love to hear. Well, um, there were a few kind of things at work that that brought together the idea of the camp. And the first was <clears throat> that there are very, very few programs for trans youth, um, and there are almost none for youth that are younger than teenage age. And so um, I thought, well, what about kids? who know that they're trans or know that they're gender variant, at least, and don't fit in, and they're young, and they sort of can't go to summer camp. They can't go to a quote-unquote normal camp that is split up into boys and girls because everything is split up into boys and girls, even if you're at a co-ed camp. So I thought about those kids, and I thought about the fact that they probably were missing out on summer camp completely, um, at least residential camp, because of their gender. And the other uh, main factor was that I was volunteering at a camp, um, a charity camp that was a week long, and I had known the people that were running it for quite some time, and I had been involved for a few years. And um, I announced my own impending gender transition at the time, from female to male, and um, at first, you know, I was met with really nice things that they said, and um, they were very happy for me. And then um, things changed, um, unbeknownst to me, and one day I heard from uh, the head of the camp that um, it really wasn't a good idea for me to come back to this camp. And it was a surprise to me. Um, the board had gotten together and um, gotten a lawyer and voted that I wasn't allowed to come back to the camp. And they just sort of told me that and uh, didn't really allow for me to have any response and uh, cut off communication essentially with me. So I was really upset over that. Um, I couldn't believe it for a long time especially since I, I knew these people so well, or I thought I did. And that, in combination with thinking about kids who can't experience camp, camp was very essential to me as a kid. I was at the same camp for 13 summers. Mm. I loved it. Um, but I really wasn't aware of my own gender stuff. At least I couldn't name it, you know, at that time. But there are plenty of kids who can name it. And so the combination of those two uh, thoughts, I, I really said, I need to start something. So that's that's how Aeronutic came to be. And and what was your understanding of, of what the board of that camp was concerned about and, and why they wouldn't want you to stay? 
Um, I don't have too much insight into it because I, I haven't spoken with these people, but um, the one thing that the director of that camp did say to me, the head of the board, uh, she said that she was concerned that the parents of the kids at that camp um, are, quote-unquote, uh, watch Jerry Springer. They're the type of parents that probably watch Jerry Springer. And so um, to her, what that meant was that they thought that transgender people were as they are portrayed on Jerry Springer. Um, and so that was her way of saying the parents are, are going to get up in arms. And I really, I really think that that was her opinion. Um, that's what she thinks. And that sort of just came from her own anxiety about it. Um, there was no reason that the parents had to know that there was someone who was transgender as a counselor. Um, it really didn't have to do with my abilities and the fact that, you know, I, I did really well at the camp before that. So my understanding was really it came from an anxiety in the director and perhaps something that she instilled or that was in the rest of the uh, board of directors at least the majority of them. I mean, you know, my, just listening to what I wonder is the degree to which any kind of, you know, variance around gender or sexuality just makes people very nervous. People leap to associating any kind of variance with, as if it's sort of a link, a form of perversion or like a threat to their child or might convert their child. I mean, that kind of thinking is not gone. It seems to me, and is that is that your? I mean, when you had to guess for yourself, is that what you imagined that they were afraid that you would be a threat to the kids, or that you know that that was the level of ignorance about what it means to be transgender? Yeah, I think I think that's that's still alive and well, unfortunately for um, for a lot of people, and that is certainly what the um, the board was getting at. Whether they had talked to any parents, I doubt it. Um, but I think they thought that parents would think that I was, um, you know, that I was somehow a threat to their kids. I don't, I don't know in what way, but certainly people equate um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people as different as we all are um, to pedophiles, to um, you know, deviants in some way, and. Uh, and, and they sort of did that even after knowing me as, as a, you know, just a normal person. So I That's think there's poignant. still a lot out there. Yeah, it's very, it's very, I think, extra painful knowing that they actually knew you and cared about you, that there could still be uh, that level of anxiety and ignorance about this. So, so maybe that's the exact reason to keep going. So what I what I understand is you took that very personal loss and your awareness of of the fact that other, you know, that transgendered kids might not be able to fit into camps because camp is so, you know, either or around gender, so either boy or either girl, um, that led to you deciding to create your own camp. And, and was it a, a, a long time in the making? Did it sort of come together? What was the process of making this happen? Um, it, it wasn't a long time. It was relatively short. Um, the idea was something that was conceived in... You know, December, January, January of '09 is when um, I incorporated and um, brought together a board of directors. And our first summer week was in August of 2010. So it was really a year and a half. Um, I wanted to get it started. I had a lot of experience 
um, as a camp um, member of a camp leadership team, so I knew the the inner workings of camp and and what it took to to um, do something like that. And I learned the rest along the way. So I really wanted to get it off the ground quickly. And so you've had you had one year of operation. How many kids did you get? We had forty one kids last summer, um, and we're uh, we're probably going to have fifty to sixty this summer. Isn't that wonderful for a first time ever to get that many kids? That seems really very exciting. And what are their age ranges? They are eight through fifteen. And I, I heard you say at the beginning that what was important to you is to really uh, create a space for younger kids, because um, there really aren't that many services there for them. And um, uh, maybe you could say something about how the experience of pre-adolescent transgendered kids may be different from those in adolescence. Well, I think the messages they get um, are different. I think that they they're very, I mean, it's almost like the younger we are um, as people, the, the more binary, you know, boy or girl things are. Uh, things are very pink and blue for young kids. Uh, they're very much girls go here and boys go here in school. And we are able to think of that in a more abstract way as we get older, that gender is more on a continuum, although, of course, many people don't ever think that. But there's something about the young kids being forced into these boxes uh, that is really disconcerting because a lot of kids just don't fit into boxes, and especially boxes of gender. So it's it's was very important to me that they be able to experience a place where they could just be themselves, and that and that I mean we just got the age eight as. Uh, we got it from sort of the regular camp age when kids start going to sleepaway camp. And I thought there's no reason that, um, you know, an eight-year-old transgender kid or gender variant kid can't start camp at that age as well. Um, there are kids that are even younger that are in need of services, uh, different services, because it is kind of tough for them to be away from their families for a week. But I think that all the way through, it's important. It is important for teenagers, it's important for young adults, but there's something different about the young kids that they don't, they don't have that ability to talk about their feelings and, and what it means to be different, and, uh, and they, they really just kind of exist in this world and they need to see it in front of them, whereas the older kids talk more about it and can kind of grasp that, um, that gender continuum a little bit better. Maybe you could um, tell me a story. I'd love to hear a story of, a, of a, one of the kids that came to your camp, sort of hearing about what they were dealing with in their life as a trans, you know, as a young person who identified as trans, and how camp touched them. Well, we had one camper who I heard from um, one of her doctors that this was one of the worst cases of gender dysphoria that he'd seen, and that really means that um, she was unhappy with, with her body, with her gender. And she is male to female, so she was born male, um, but she identifies as female. And she had tried everything to avoid going to the bathroom, showering, anything where she would have to face her body, where she would have to see her body the way it was. 
and she ended up developing some health problems because of that. She had never met any other transgender kids or gender-variant kids or adults, for that matter, that she could look up to. And um, from from what we had learned about her, it was sort of this would be the first time that she'd be able to to be amongst those kids and to be able to maybe, hopefully, be happy with who she was and um, and to learn to deal with all the stuff that comes with being trans. So she came to camp and she did wonderfully and she had a great time and her parents tell me that the self-confidence that she's gotten since she got back is just unbelievable and that uh, all her providers are saying that and they're, they sort of said to her parents, we don't know what happened at that camp over that week, but she is uh, just a different person. And that was only a week, you know. So it, it just, that's really a great story. That is someone that we we are just thrilled that, that it ended up that way. Um, because that's what we're here for. We, we want to make these kids more comfortable with themselves and you know we can't change anything about their body that's not what we're doing we're just giving them a place to be normal experience camp meet friends that are like them meet adults that are like them meet adults that may be not trans that that accept them for who they are i mean all these things are hugely important and they all had a a great impact on on this kid and and many of our other kids as well it's very poignant to hear that whole idea of needing adults to look up to. That really makes sense. An adult who's like me. Mm-hmm. Because if the world, you know, only thinks of people who are trans as somehow weird or deviant, that's such a painful thing for a child to imagine becoming or being as they get older. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it feels powerful. You know, one of the things that uh, really pained me so much in preparing th- for this interview was learning the statistic from you that fully 50%, that's 5 half of all transgendered youth um, actually attempt suicide. Um, I found that just staggering, and I, I wondered if you could say more about what's your understanding of why that figure is so high, about what the difficulties are that kids are facing. Well, um, there are a ton of difficulties both I think, as you had said um, to me earlier, internal, internally and externally, that there's so much going on internally. For instance, that child I was talking about, um, not feeling comfortable with her own body, feeling like she's in the wrong body. Um, and, and externally, I mean, gender is in everything that we do. Literally from day one of life, everything is gendered. You're, you know, the doctor says it's a boy or it's a girl, and you get the pink, um, you know, onesie to put on or the blue one, and that's it. You're, um, you know, you're, you're branded for life, or so it seems. And so it's very hard when uh, parents are just trying to raise their kids, love their kids, and and they, they think, okay, well, if it's a girl, then she'll want to play with these things, and she'll want to do these things, and vice versa, you know, for a boy, and um, some kids, that's just not who they are, and it's very, very difficult when you grow up in such a binary world, such a boy and girl world, that um, 
being the opposite gender or being, you know, not the gender that, that you were stamped at birth is extremely hard. It's hard to navigate that. Um, imagine, you know, yourself waking up as a man tomorrow and uh, presumably you don't feel like a man. You feel like you're a woman. Uh, what would that do to you? What would that, um, you know, how painful would that be for you? And I think that's how we really have to think about it, that it is so alien, it is so far from what, you know, our bodies and our minds are just so um, in different places that it's really, really difficult to get through uh, your life like that. And so for trans kids who think, if this isn't going to get better, if I'm not going to be able to transition, um, or they think that, uh, even if I do transition, what is my life going to be like? Am I going to be thought of as a freak? Am I going to be thought of as someone, you know, a guest on Jerry Springer? Is that what my life's going to be like? Then it's not going to be worth it. Um, and even just thinking about transitioning genders, what that does to your family and your friends and everyone you've ever known, uh, you know, going into the corner store where the person you know, who works behind the uh, cash register has seen you, you know, come in when you need something, and then uh, all of a sudden you're coming in as a different gender. I mean, even down to, to that person or your mechanic or who, whomever, um, there are so many people in our lives that we don't often think about and think about having to come out to each and every one of those people. It's just, it's completely overwhelming. Um, and so I think that there's, so many factors that come together that it can seem really, really hopeless for um, for a trans young person that, that this just isn't going to work. I just can't do this. And and unfortunately, um, you know, that leads to some very, very, uh, very bad consequences. You know, I'm thinking as I listen to you of a movie that I saw many years ago, My Vie en Rose, which was the story of this little boy who, who you know, knew that he was inside a girl um, from sort of age three on in the movie, and you know, now I would know to refer to her as she. I, I think I was confused then about how to use pronouns, but that child, you know, wears makeup and tries on his mother's clothes and and um, earrings and gets really painfully humiliated and even physically hurt by the parents, mostly because the parents are trying to protect their child. They they're so afraid that their son will get brutalized at school, that they sort of preemptively brutalize the boy at home. And I, I wonder how much that, also, the literal threat of violence is also part of that despair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, some of the violence is in the home, um, but much of it is outside. And I, I don't know the exact statistics on transgender violence, but it's through the roof. I mean, it's, it's really, it's not... Uh, it doesn't seem to be getting better in some ways. And so a lot of parents are afraid of for what what will this mean for my child? They'll be in danger. Um, and and in some cases that's true. There's a lot of a lot of violence and a lot of teasing and bullying. I mean, the most teasing and bullying. <laughs> um, it's really hard to get away from. and and some some kids, you know, they don't know that they're, 
they are born a boy but they feel like a girl or they're born a girl and feel like a boy. Some of them just don't feel, you know, they they may have been born a boy and they still know that they're a boy but they like girl things. I mean, that's that's another type of child that is in the same boat and um, it's really, really difficult for all these children and it's so important to realize that gender is a spectrum and the kid is just being themselves. Um, especially the young kids who at two and three years old are expressing that they're not the gender that they were stamped at birth. Um, those kids are not learning this from anywhere. They This is truly coming from, from inside. This is who they are. And um, and it's really important for, for parents to listen and for others to listen. But it's very hard because our world is so... It's so much about... You are a boy, or you are a girl, and that's what you were born as. And uh, you know that that's not that's not changing so fast, so fast as I wish it it would be. Anyway, right. You know, I I understand that for kids who are really clear about this before puberty, that there are measures in which they can take hormones to actually delay puberty, in order to delay the kind of permanent growth of breasts or growth of facial hair such that when they reach the age of 18, they, they may, you know, legally dis- be able to take surgical means to alter their physical sex to match their internal gender. And I wondered if you could say a little bit about how many kids do that, how many parents support them to do that, and um, whether that seems to offer hope. Sure. Um, there are probably a handful of kids at our camp who are on what, what you're referring to, which is um, puberty-inhibiting medication. It's very expensive. Um, It's incredibly expensive and, unfortunately, not really covered by uh, health insurance plans. But for the the children who can get it, um, it is really, really helpful. It stops their, uh, you know, formation of secondary sex characteristics so that uh, it basically stops puberty from happening, and it's just to buy time. Um, it doesn't cause any major adverse effects. If the child decides, you know, a year or two years, three years down the road that they made a mistake and that they really do feel like the gender they were born as, they can just stop the medication and puberty resumes as normal. But what it does for um, the the majority of kids, in fact, uh, a doctor... Dr. Spack at Children's Hospital who works with these kids um, has told me that he's never had a case where a kid has changed their mind. Uh, and that, you know, that is very telling. For those kids, they are able to start cross-sex hormones, um, you know, when they feel ready, when their doctors and their parents are ready um, as teenagers. And they will never have to deal with some of the major pain that puberty in their uh in the sex that they were born as, uh, will bring. So that's it's a hugely helpful thing. Um, I don't think that there are a lot of kids on it in terms of, you know, country, you know, nationwide. I don't think that uh, it's certainly not a majority of trans kids, but more and more are learning about it and are able to, um, those who are able to, to get it are hugely helped by it. So um, that's something that that is a great technological uh, advance. I can imagine, you know, being a parent, 
that this would be just an incredibly intense dilemma for a parent about, you know, altering the future of your child's life so radically in that way and sort of needing support. Are there support resources for parents of trans kids? There are some. There are some on the Internet, which is very helpful, especially for those who live in very isolated communities. Um, there are some support groups in cities, in major cities around the country. What we do at Aeronutic is, uh, for those parents who are able to bring their kids to the camp, they uh, have a, a session where they sit with two therapists who are on our board, who are parent liaisons, and they uh, talk about their experiences just when they drop their kids off for a few hours. And uh, that was very successful last year in forging relationships between parents because it's, it's really just as important for them to get these relationships as it is for their kids because they feel very alone. I have this kid who is really depressed about the gender that they were born or they were labeled with at birth or, um, or they're even suicidal, you know, at age eight and they really need support from other parents. So we just, you know, we just kick that off in the beginning of camp and hope that uh, they stay in touch and are able to support each other, which from what I have learned from them, that, that has really helped, and they, they've been able to do that, which is great. And at the camp itself, um, how much do you offer, you know, emotional support opportunities for the kids, or how much is it more like a regular camp? It is all regular camp. And that was very important to me when I started the camp, that it be, quote-unquote, normal activities, uh, that it be about arts and crafts and capture the flag and, um, you know, eating in the dining hall and talent show and canoeing, um, rather than let's sit around and talk about your gender, because they do a lot of that at home. They have a lot of explaining that they have to do to their classmates to... Uh, even their parents to their therapists. Many or most of them are in therapy. And this is just a week for them to be around each other, to talk about it amongst each other if they feel comfortable, which most of them do, um, but to be enjoying activities and to be at camp as camp should be in my eyes. Hmm. And that was very, very important. So we do have therapists that are there, um, you know, if, if something should arise, but it is certainly not a focal point of the camp at all. So Nick, we're going to have to stop, but maybe we could just end by, what is your dream for the camp? What is, what is your hope of where this is going to go? My hope is that it becomes a really integral part of each of these kids' lives, that they always remember it as something that really helped them gain self-esteem, help them meet other people and learn that they are normal, they are fine, they are wonderful kids without um, having any shame. And if that's something we can do, that's, that's the best, in my eyes, that, that would be the best outcome. And if someone wants to send their child to Camp Aranudic, how can they find you? They can find us at Camp Aranudic. That's A-R-A-N-U-T-I-Q dot org. We're, all, we're an all-volunteer camp, and um, we have a low tuition, so we, we depend a lot on donations as well. Um, and since we're the only game in town, that's, uh, that's something that we